Open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And we will find how that hymn, Onward Christian Soldier, is so relevant to where we find ourselves in our study of this blessed epistle coming from the inspired apostle to the early Christians, the early Jewish Christians, the Hebrews. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we read his word. O Father God above, Lord, we pause to come before you now. And Lord, as we have lifted up our voices and song to you, thanking you, worshiping you, recognizing that it is in and through your church, Lord, that you will advance your kingdom. We pray that you would help us to see in the text today, O God, what is in store for us as your people. Send thy spirit, we pray, Lord, and bless our time as we walk through your scriptures and help us, God, to move forward as your Christian soldiers. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy name we ask these things. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Follow along as I read. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand Of the throne of God. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. I have been drawing your attention to the road map of the book of Hebrews of kind of where we're at in it. And in that road map, you see that in Hebrews 11, it was important for the inspired writer to help these early Christians to persevere unto the end was to nail down and to define what was saving and enduring faith. And then what he did in chapter 11, we spent time there as he was giving us Individual examples, wasn't he, of how enduring faith looks, how it was lived out by the power of God. And we come finally here to chapter 12 where he takes everything that he has said and he begins to apply it. He begins to apply it. He says in our text today, he says in the application, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He's going to apply all that he said in chapter 11 to this application of running a race, of setting forth this activity of running to get to some sort of finish line. And you kind of wonder if these early Christians who were converted, if they, like the blind man we read about in chapter 9, when he came to the realization that Jesus was Lord and he worshipped him, you kind of wonder, considering the context of the, the epistle, did they really know what they fully were signing up for? I say this because there's something obviously going on that's causing some of them to consider taking a pause or a rest from running the race. Or altogether acquitting the race, what we saw in chapter 6. That's why you got such the stark warning in chapter 6 of apostasy. You kind of wonder when people are looking at the church and the Christian life of what kind of word picture or what kind of imagery do they think the Christian life is. When we stop and consider sometimes the views of the Christian life that some may possess, even those who profess Christianity compared with the Bible's imagery of the Christian life, sometimes we see that our imagery or our thoughts about the Christian life can be pretty mistaken. I mean, there are some who look at the Christian life as, you know, this sort of business transaction. Um, 
you know, it's like an insurance policy. Um, what if I could be wrong? I mean, what if there really is such a thing as, you know, eternal damnation? I certainly don't want that. So, you know, just to be safe, just to have the right coverage in my insurance policy, yeah, I'll connect myself with a Christian church. You know, I'll go and kind of be this, this member in this church and do the things that, you know, as far as they are comfortable with, you know, my lifestyle, so forth and so that I'll do, and I'll have the insurance policy. That's my idea of the Christian life. Right? Then there's some who would look at the Christian life and they would say, well, you know what? It's more about how to help me have a structure in my life. Christianity, from what I see, you know, from the other things around me in the world, my co-workers, other family members, Christianity offers for me the needed discipline and the rigid routine that I have in my life, which will help me be more successful in life. It'll help me to kind of stay on the straight and narrow path. I don't want to end up like my, you know, my cousin Anthony or whoever and, uh, you know, end up in a ditch somewhere. So I, I need Christianity to kind of help me have more of a successful life. I need it to help me, you know, have a better marriage. That's one thing that it definitely would do for me. I look at Christian marriages and and they only see from the outside, right? Us who are Christians who are married, we know we have problems like everyone else. They look at it and they go, well, maybe I need to sign up for the Christian life because it appears it helps me have a better marriage. And there's the mistaken view, of course, of some of those about the Christian life that are a little bit more in touch with their spiritual or emotional side. And they, they say, well, you know, the, the Christian life, well, the spirituality that it offers, it would be kind of therapeutic for me to have a balanced wholeness of my humanity. You know, I, I sense there's more to the world. And, 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 and Christianity seems to offer, you know, some things that can make me more complete as a human being. I can't get on board with the pantheism of those guys who worship the trees. And, well, Islam, that's just, you know, for someone like me in the West, that's just a little bit too much. But this society of Christians over here will help me to, to get in touch with that emotional part of me that needs to be, uh, you know, massaged and therapeutically uh, dealt with from time to time just to keep my sanity in the rat race of life. You know, that, that, that's kind of maybe a view of the Christian life. Well, when you compare that to the Bible's imagery, how the Bible describes the Christian life, you can see they're very quickly mistaken. The Bible offers for us the imagery of the church and the Christian life being as a sheep. Someone who needs a master, someone who needs to be corrected, someone who needs to be led, and someone who needs to be guided. It shows the Christian life of someone who's prone to wonder and to get into trouble and doesn't know the best what's for themselves and needs you know, the Word of God to help them stay where they need to stay and graze where they need to graze. Sometimes you know, sheep can be bullheaded, right? They want to do their own thing. They get dirty. They get messy. They stink sometimes, right? The Christian... Life is presented in the Bible as a slave. A slave doesn't get to do what it wants to do. A slave has to do what? What the master tells it to do. A slave doesn't get to punch in when he wants to punch in. He's got to be on time. If not, he gets into big trouble, so forth and so on. It it shows us a picture of a servant right in line with a slave. This is the idea of the Christian life. Acts 20.24. Paul demonstrated this very clearly. I consider my life worth nothing to me. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I'm not in this Christian life to do my own thing. It's not about me. It's not for what I get out of it. I'm in it because Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. And I am His. All of me. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I consider my life worth nothing, Paul says. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. That was his Bible picture of the Christian life. Jesus has set me on a race. My life is his. And I'm here to complete that task. And then there's the ones that get a little bit more, you could say, violent. The Christian life is pictured as a soldier or pictures as soldiers in combat, 
called into a fight. We sung that hymn, you know, coming into the, the message today. Onward, Christian soldier. You're engaged in a war. The title of the, 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 the hymn at the top, you saw the topic was Christian warfare. But for our purposes today, the Bible also many times, I trust you're acquainted with these examples, not going to list all of them, but it identifies the Christian life like it's athletic. It refers to the Christian life at times as someone who's a wrestler in close contest, hand-to-hand combat. Paul identifies, we'll look at it, you'll see it in your sermon notes later, where he identifies himself as, as training like a boxer. And today we see what the inspired writer wants to do is he wants to take chapter 11, all of chapter 11, and he wants to apply it through this metaphor of a runner and of a race. And the reason he's doing this is because in the first century, just like we have the games that we're interested in, some of us more than others, right? But all of us at some point have played games. Some of us are somewhat aware of the, the athletes, right, who, who have a trophy on their shelf, the, the big names. Um, they did too back then. They had their favorite athletes. They had the, 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 the Olympic Games. They were triathlons. They, uh, you, they took very extensive training in the games, as I was doing research and, and looking into the, the first century games that this audience would have been familiar with, they were popularized by their certain maneuvers they could do. Uh, in the wrestling competitions, there was a man who was known for breaking the fingers of his opponents. The very first move he would make, because he figured he could cripple his fingers, he couldn't grab anymore in a wrestling match, he would win. And then in the boxing game, there was an, another well-known man who would... He would never throw a punch, and he was undefeated. And the way he would do it is in his training, his vigorous, disciplined training, he would wear the other opponent out until he submitted and gave up by dodging his punches and dancing around him the whole time. That's all he did. The guy could not lay a hand on him because of his training. And so the writer is using this, to draw this application in for them of athletics and they themselves are in a race and they're running and he's going to build upon that. The main clause is pretty evident. Therefore, let us run the race with patience. That's the main clause in the text. And so the sermon title today is very simply running the race, running the race. What he's wanting to do is he's wanting to point back to chapter 11 and is in a way he's saying all of them in chapter 11, they have ran the race. I showed you their example. And now you Christian in the first century or you Christian in the 21st century, now it's your turn to take this gospel, to take this calling into the race and now you're to run the race. The children, I gave you guys a, a picture that I handed you, and I want you to look at that picture. Us adults, we can see this in our minds, right? It's, a, it's, the, it's the relay race. You guys remember the relay race where you got several people that are running the race, and one person runs the race, and they become weary, they get tired, and at their stopping point, they end their race. And what do they do? They hand that baton off to the next person. And children, what you're seeing there is the person that's handing the baton off. That's the Old Testament saints that the writer's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. Noah and Moses and Abraham, they've ran their race. They carried that faithful baton of the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. And now the writer's saying, you are being handed, church of Christ, that baton. And now you have to run. Run, run, run. And he begins, I think this is beautiful, by giving us an encouragement to run. He sets forth the main clause, run the race, and then he modifies that, as you see in your sermon notes, he modifies that main clause with an encouragement of how to run, a preparedness to run, and then patience to run, 
and then focus and the object of the race. And so that's very naturally going to be our sermon headings. Their encouragement to run, preparedness to run, patience in running, and focus in the object of the race. I don't think we're going to get to verses 3 and 4, uh, or even probably 2 today, and that's okay. Uh, we'll get to those next week. But we see here he, call, he, he gives them an encouragement to run. Now if you look back at chapter 11, let's look here at verse 36. The Old Testament saints had trials, didn't they? Verse 36, they had cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, hiding out in mountains and dens and caves. And we already know from previous chapters that these first century Christians, they were undergoing persecution as well. And so in verse 12, he immediately wants to give them an encouragement. He knows that they need encouragement to get into the race, to stay into the race, don't quit the race. And so he uses this very strong uh, word. You see at the very beginning, some of your translations will have it, therefore, the old authorized version says, wherefore, therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud witness, let us lay aside every weight, let us lay aside sin, let us run the race. Now just to try to emphasize what he's saying here with his call, his command to now apply what he has taught them in chapter 11. This word wherefore in the English, it's only used one other time in the Bible and notice in your sermon notes the context in which it's used. It's used in the context of 1 Thessalonians 4.8 that's talking about the severity of fornication and how a person's been and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, and knowing that you have been saved from that, you have been dwelt and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, he uses this very strong therefore to say in 1 Thessalonians 4.8, he therefore, a person therefore, that believes this, understands this, can say it's true of them, therefore that despiseth this teaching, despises the teaching and say, I, I hear all that, but fornication is still going to be a commonplace in my life. He despises not me, the apostle writing. He despises not man, but he despises God, who has also given unto us this Holy Spirit. So I just point that out to show that what the writer today is doing is he's saying, brothers and sisters, after spending all this time in chapter 11 talking to you about these men and these women who went through and endured all of these things in 36 and 38, there is no option for you to consider that you will not run the race. It's non-negotiable. We'll see that in a little bit. Wherefore, looking at them, consequently, after you fully accept that yes, they made it to the end, that ought to be an encouragement to you that you can run the race as well. Let's look at the first part of the encouragement. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about. Seeing we also. In other words, we are part of them. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great a cloud of witnesses, we are all running the same race. This is that relay imagery. We also are with that family. We also are the sons and daughters of God. We all are the blind sinners who have had our eyes uh, uh, given back to us, the eyes of faith, and seeing also we are compassed about. We have this wonderful unity between us and them that we're all in the same race and it's supposed to be a means of encouragement. We're blessed to be part of this heritage of this ancient family of God who are the Christian soldiers we sung about, who are carrying forward the same message, the same battle, the same war. Me and a brother were talking about it before church. We're going to win one today. We're going to lose two tomorrow. We're going to win three. We may lose another one. But at the end of the day, we're in the war, we're fighting the war, and we're never going to give up the war. Right? We are part of that long host of soldiers who have been pushing back vain imaginations that have come against the throne of Christ. 
were part of that long list of soldiers in chapter 11, organically connected to them, who will not become settled down with things that need to be dealt with in our own lives. Uh, we're, we're part of, get this, we also are coming about by this great cloud of witnesses that are part of this group of people that in their own lives weren't always perfect themselves. But organically we see also and be encouraged about it uh, by it that despite what verses 36 and 37 said, they overcame. And if they can overcome, we can overcome as well. If they weren't defeated and, quit, and didn't quit the race, if they didn't stop running, then brothers and sisters, there's hope for us that we will keep going as well. We need this encouragement. We need to see that Moses made it. Noah made it. Abraham made it. Enoch made it. Bless God, David made it after he made a fool of himself and fell into the sin he fell into. And if God could help them make it to the end, well, bless God, He can help me make it to the end as well. And we need such encouragement as this. Seeing also, we are compassed about with such a great host of witness. The writer of Hebrews, have you noticed when he shows us something that we have, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, seeing how we also are connected with them, we have this encouragement, we have this great hall of faithful men and women to encourage us. He always applies it. He always points us to what we possess by faith. He's, it's, it's like this repeated pattern throughout the book of Hebrews. He shows you what you have in Christ in faith, and then he points you to what to do with that faith. I don't know if I put it in your sermon notes, but he did it back in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to turn there. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He, every time he shows you what you have in Christ, he, he, he applies it. Verse 14, he says, Seeing then, you see the conclusion that he's making there, the application of his argument here, seeing then that we have a, high, a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. What's he say? Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He does it again over in Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 24. Now this is in the context where Jesus, by His death, has fulfilled the new covenant obligations. Knowing this and teaching this and impressing upon their minds and upon our minds, listen how he applies it. What's he say? Now that you know this, now that you possess this in Christ, let us draw near, he says in verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here it is again. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love, and to good works. He does this time and time again, and He's doing it again today. Oh, seeing how you are part of this long train of witnesses, be encouraged and apply it to your lives that you can also continue to run the race, dear Christian. Now He gives us now the descriptions. I would At least that's how I'm outlining this. In your sermon notes, the description of this encouragement. So you're encouraged that you're part of this band of faithful believers. You're, you're to apply this. You're to lay aside every way, lay aside sin and run the race. But what is the description of the encouragement? Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. Well, why are they called great, first of all? Was this great cloud of witnesses, this multitude is what the word cloud in the ancient times would denote. Is it quantitative, there's many, or qualitative? Is it quantitative or qualitative? Why are they made great? Well, I would say it could be either or. 
It could be that there's, there's many names in chapter 11 that's unnamed. There's so many Christians that aren't even named in chapter 11. So many Old Testament faithful elect of God that aren't even mentioned. And it could be, he's saying, you see this, you're compassed about with such a multitude of witnesses who made it. So therefore, you have no excuse to be thinking about quitting. If they could all make it, you can make it. But it also could mean, beloved, and some take this position, that it's qualitative. Meaning, qualitative in the sense of what God did in and through them. Pointing to the quality of what God's operation of salvation does in the heart of a believer. If they possess that, then you can you possess it. And you can make it to the end as well. It is the qualitative aspect of the Apostle Paul, by the strength of the Spirit, living out his Christian life, that he would look to those who would come after him, who's running the race, as he's running the race, and he's handing the baton off, that he would say to them, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul's saying, run the race like I've showed you. You know, defend the gospel. Um, and, and, you know, here's these other things we mentioned about. Watch out for these things. And so in a sense, the greatness of their witness was their life. And we've analyzed their life. They weren't perfect. They had had flaws themselves. But they picked themselves back up. They renewed their repentance by the grace of God. And they kept fighting the war. They kept moving forward. And they could say to a new Christian, they're passing the baton off, a new generation of Christian, listen, you're going to get tired. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. But continue to run the race. Brothers, Paul said in Philippians 3.17, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. So the greatness of this cloud of witnesses, I believe, is both quantitative and those multitude of witnesses they demonstrated a life of faithfulness and of endurance. And so we look to them around us, don't we? Doesn't it encourage you when you come to the household of God and you know a man or a woman who has been through just really difficult times and they're still running the race you look to that and it encourages you it gives you an encouragement doesn't it it can be true what was said in verse 38 this world was not worthy of these people who God changed by the power of his grace and who walked in newness of life and despite no matter what come upon them verses 36 and 37 they would not continue they would not stop running the race they would continue to move on What were they witnessing? What is it that they were witnessing? I thought this was interesting because very faithful interpreters and commentators of this text took some different positions on this. There's the view that what's being conveyed here um, is a witness of encouragement as like you're in a stadium. And it's understanding why they would take this position because it is drawing in these word pictures of athletics and the games and racing. And so uh, John Calvin even takes this position where uh, there's a Noah in the stands and he's telling you, go Grizz, go! And while that would be encouraging to think, you know, there's this spiritual stadium and kind of see it that way, I'm more inclined to believe what's being witnessed here is the witness of God's faithfulness and God's persevering grace. So it's as if you're in a courtroom and you're on the stand and what you're on the stand for is whether or not you're making a decision today whether you're going to continue the race or stop the race and quit the race. And there's a great host of witnesses on this side who have went through everything you've went through and probably much more because we are very wimpy people in the West. Um, and they're saying, hey, I want to give my witnesses, or I want to give my witness. You know, yes, I did go through that. And furthermore, I went through this, through this, and through this, and through this. And through it all, God gave me the strength to always know that He would use it for my good somehow. God always helped me make it through it and keep my eye on the object and the focus of my faith, Jesus Christ, knowing that He endured much more than me. Can't wait to get to that part. And they would say, therefore, dear friend, 
Don't quit the race. And I think that's more of the idea. The writer saying, seeing also we are compassed about with such great a cloud of witnesses, now application, run the race. The Christian faith, beloved, we saw in the blind man this morning, and we know it true of ourselves. It is for the weak and the downcasted, isn't it? I mean, we come to Jesus scarred and marred with all sorts of baggage and sin. It is for the weak and the contrite heart. But what we're seeing here today, when someone's thinking about stopping or quitting the race, the Christian life is not for the wimps. It's for the weak. But it's not for the wimps. Because when you try to get wimpy in the Christian life, you're going to have uh, uh, these witnesses from chapter 11 <laughs> standing there. And, and, and do you really want Rahab telling you, sister, right? Hey, you think you got it tough with that situation in your life? You know, I had to, I had to, I had to, I was a prostitute for many years. And then, you know, after that, remember I pointed out last week, you think it was just easy for her to mosey on into the covenant community? And no, no, we don't have the whole story, guys, okay? Uh, you know, and then we were talking about Samson's life and all these other people's lives whose lives were truly messed up. They were a mess. And do you think that you're going to be able to stand in the courtroom and the tribunal of the day of deciding whether or not you want to quit the race and look at them and say, you just, you just don't understand. You don't understand. I'm getting blisters on my feet. Uh, I, I'm starting to, you know, get cramps in my side. No, their witness is, I know it's tough. Jesus said it was going to be tough. Don't expect it. You have no expectations for it to get any easier. But run the race. That's their witness. And so while I would like to think that they're in the stands cheering us on, I think they would be looking at us like we were talking about before church, how some of us men, we have a different diagnosis of our kids in our household when they get sick. And I think one of the brothers said, I'll just tell them to rub dirt on it. They'll be okay. I think that's what chapter 11, all the Old Testament saints would be saying to us. You know, get up, come on, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You're going to be just fine. Keep running the race. Don't stop because it's hard to pick up and get started again you know this is one of the reasons I have in my uh, sermon notes here this is the important I would encourage you if, if you don't read Christian biographies at least try to get snippets of Christian biographies in your reading once a year um, you know some of you men some of you ladies may be interested in a particular era of history and you like reading about you know I, I like American history. I like reading about Thomas Jefferson. I like reading about the early you know, men who founded this country, so forth and so on. And then now my focus is somewhere else at this moment. But, but make sure you're getting from time to time good Christian biographies. We have a whole list, good preserved list, of men and women who have ran the race and they've made it to the end. And those things are preserved for us, beloved. We get, we're getting a snapshot here in chapter 11. Uh, right? This is a miniature list of Christian biographies. But you can get it. They got them, you know. Uh, George Whitfield, I mentioned him earlier. John Bunyan. Um, uh, Naomi, I know you have a lot in your, in your schooling that you read. And those things, guys, are more than memories. They're much more memories. They're encouragements to you that just as they have run the race, you can run the race. Let's focus for a moment on the command to run the race. We have this great encouragement. We're part of this great relay race from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We have the witness of these men and women who have their own scars but have made it to the end. And they're telling us, you go, you keep going, don't stop, don't give up. And now we come to the command. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily beset us and let us run. Let us run. Let us run. This is the command in the text I want us to focus on before we look at the preparation to run. Notice the participants in the race. He includes himself. He doesn't, it doesn't read the text, hey, now you go run. But he says, let us run. Here it is, the teacher, the inspired man of God, looking at the rest of them, and he puts himself in the race. 
And I want to draw out here that this makes us or it ought to make us to remember that the pastors and the leaders in churches, brothers and sisters, they are but men. They get cramps. They get weary. And they get tired. And this is why in the New Testament there's so much admonition for the church to pray for the pastor teacher, to pray for his duties, to pray for his responsibilities. Because if he quits the race, if he gives up the race, that has huge implications. Huge. I was reading through a work by Benjamin Keach just this month that was talking of the true glory of the church. And Benjamin Keach, who was outlining uh, the responsibilities of the minister and outlining the responsibilities of the, uh, the, the, the members of the church. And we're looking to publish this to, to give away at the pastor's conference uh, coming up, I think it's in September, um, to, the, to these brothers that they are going to be there at that, that conference. And he was saying there, and he was talking about attendance in church, and basically his point was, what if the pastor took the flippid kind of um, uh, nonchalant attitude to being in the house of God on the Lord's Day as some of the members in the church were at that time doing. And he was saying, if he just kind of woke up and said, I got got an ache in my finger, and I'm using hyperbole, of course, here to prove the point, well, what would that do to the church of God, right? And he was trying to stress on the members of the church that you are the church. Without you, there is no church. The pastor teacher is not the church. And so just as you are encouraged from the Word of God, He needs to be encouraged. We all together bringing out again this corporate unity that we saw last week of the enduring faith. We're all in this thing together. Let us run the race. Let us all together run the race. Brothers and sisters, we have to do it together. It's a relay race. You have to pass that baton off when you get tired. You have to do so, you know, you follow me there? Right? So it's this corporate unity that we're seeing once again in the text by him including himself in the command. Now what is the command? I gave it into your note in your notes. It's run. It's run. Notice the Greek word that he's using there. To exert oneself to strive hard. It is not jog. We're not called to meander. We are not called in the Christian life, coming back to our imagery that we did in our introduction, we are not called to wonder and explore. We're put on a course, and notice the word here is to strive hard. It occurs in Greek writings denoting extreme peril, which it does require the exertion of all one's effort to overcome. The preparation for the runners in the Roman Greco games, if I went into all the stuff they did, I mean, you would think those guys were iron men. They were iron men. The, 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 the discipline and the preparation because they knew the seriousness of the race. The historical accounts that I read is that in the Roman Greco games, while there may be all the series of games that would change, like this year you may not have wrestling, but next year you would have you know, wrestling. This year we're doing boxing. One thing never changed, and that was the race. The foot race was always the first event, and it was the most attended event, where these runners who disciplined themselves to put themselves through this extreme contest, they would come and run and run and run. Some of them, if they did not win, would be severely disciplined by their trainers. And so we're getting this word picture that the writer, after telling us of everybody in chapter 11, being encouraged by the witness that they ran the race, is calling us to become engaged and to participate in this extremely hard, strenuous activity of running. I don't think there's any runners in our church, but some people like to run. Right, you're going to have to put a whip on my back to get me to run. Right? That's not. I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying that's the that's the reality of it. I'll get up and put in a good eight ten hour day of work, but get on a treadmill, put on jogging shoes, go running. Come on, guys, that's not my idea of fun, right? But notice the text. He's calling us 
to do something that naturally we don't want to do. He's calling us to run. And we have to honestly ask ourselves in this Christian life that we've been called unto, are we or are we not breaking a sweat? You guys know the people, right, who look like runners. How many of you have done that? I'll tell it myself here. In the old east side neighborhood where I'm from, there was basketball tournaments and everything, and I was going to be a basketball player. Well, what do you do when you want to be a basketball player? Well, the right thing is you condition your body, you train, and you become a basketball player, right? In my thinking, I thought, I just need the shoes. I just need the shoes, Look, get the fancy jersey, get the baggy you know, basketball shorts, and I'm looking at all my cousins and everybody else. That's what a basketball player is. I just got to look like the basketball player. Well, guess what happened? I looked like a basketball player, but when I got there in the court, I wasn't a basketball player. I couldn't play basketball. And then I quickly realized after being humiliated and embarrassed, I need to forget about how I look and I really need to go over here and become what I want to be and train and practice and go on the weekends and practice, you know what I'm saying, with everybody and get better and get good. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, how practical or how does that apply here to the text? Well, it applies a lot, brothers and sisters. It applies a lot. Running the race in the Christian life is more than having a custom-made study Bible. It is more than having a whole host of theological books on a bookshelf. It is much more than you know being able to talk a certain language. It is actually running the race. And as me and a brother were talking before church, running the race actually is a lot more simple than what we like to think. It's just not the easiest thing for us to naturally do. Think of others more than yourself. Be kind and sacrificial. Be selfless. You know? I mean, is that really that hard? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot more to the Christian life. There's a lot more to growing in knowledge and truth. It's much more than uh, coming to church on Sunday and, and just listening to a sermon and, and the text we're in today. It's, it's being the Berean. It's being in the Word so that you can do what? Resist the imaginations of this vain world that want to come against the truth of Christ. It's actually breaking a sweat. Actually running the race. You're either running the race or you're not running the race. There's no in-between here when he says run the race. I showed you what the word means. That's what he's saying all of us are called to do. It has this (laughs) new dimension of the Christian life that we really don't like to talk about that much. And it's like this vigorous connotation, this type of running that is going to require something out of me. Paul does this all throughout his writings. I put it in your notes. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.24-27. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium, they all race, but only one receives the prize. Run! It's the same word. So therefore, run in such a way to win the prize. And it may be uncomfortable. It may mean that you have to give up things we're going to see in a moment in preparing to run this race in such a way to win the prize. And he tells us in verse 25 of that text, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Listen to this sort of self-discipline that has to be connected with the Christian life. Now that's very countercultural to where we are today in our culture. They do it. They run this way. They discipline themselves. They take so serious this calling to follow Jesus, to run this race, like the Old Testament saints, no matter what happens, up and down, up and down, they're going to keep going. Why? Because they don't want to do it to receive something perishable in this world. No, they got their eyes and their focus on the imperishable crown, he says in verse 25. And look what he says in verse 26. This is again another witness to encourage us. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air with no purpose. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself 
will not be disqualified. Now in the context here, he is talking about some very specific things with his body that are very applicable and relevant. But what I wanted to draw out of the text there is the idea that running the race that the author today is calling us to, it requires something of us, brothers and sisters. I mean, sometimes, let's just be honest, we can think that the Christian life is a picture of an asset to my overall life, and I check it off on my box on Sunday, and I've done my duty to Jesus. That's not running the race. That's taking a stroll, a fast-paced walk at best. That's why in 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, it's all over his writings, fight the good fight, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I know that sounds tough. I, I, I know that sounds like it's going to require something of all of us to some degree or another to run the race that God has placed before you. But notice in your sermon notes and in our text, the race is set before us. It is non-negotiable. You are either running or you're not running. And if you're not running, you know what happens to runners in a race when they're not running? Disqualified. I don't like the, I don't like the course. Well, we didn't ask if you like the course. You've got to run. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I gotta, over here I could take a shortcut there, I could take a shortcut there. I mean, those guys are taking a shortcut. No, you don't get to make up your own rules. We set the cones out. we got the line set. You have to run the race the way the rules say you have to run the race. Any shortcuts, you're disqualified. And that's what some people think the Christian life is. They think that they can run the race and they want to change the rules and they want to change the path. They want to change the course somehow and think that they're still running the race. It's set before us. There's one course. It's fixed. You're either running it or you're not running it. You're either sweating or you're trying to work yourself up to get engaged to break a sweat. But it is non-negotiable. We are all called to run. The starting point and the desired ending point. What's the starting point? We all know what that is. That's conversion. You're given faith. You're given new eyes to see. You know that you're thinking differently and God's uh, commanding and, and leading you and directing you differently than the rest of the world. That's your starting point. And you have to make it to the end. Notice in the epistle to the Hebrews how much the end, crossing the end line, is connected with salvation. Okay? You can't get away from it. You don't quit in the race. You don't end in the race. You don't pause in the race. You run the race. That's what he's showing today. And you keep running the race until you make it to the end. Don't you dare stop thinking about slowing down. What I like about the Word of God, I've said this before, is that it is so helpfully practical. It is so helpfully practical. It's not just a lofty set of theories and ideas. No, he, he, the writer now is going to tell us how to run this race that he's vigorously calling us to get engaged to, to sweat, to strive, so that we make it unto the end. He gives us the preparations to run. There's two. Laying aside every weight and laying aside, notice as he says, the sin. So let's consider these. The preparation to run. First of all, yeah, you, you, I was referring to it earlier about the looking like you run it. You, you, you do got to prepare to start running if you're going to run it. I'm wearing church shoes. If I went out here and tried to run today, it wouldn't be very good. I'd probably give myself a heart attack on top of that. You got to prepare to run. And notice in the spiritual race that we're in, brothers and sisters, notice what he says here about how to prepare to run. Let us lay aside every weight. Some of your translations, it's a good translation, will say encumbrances. And again, he's in this first century playing on the word pictures that they would have been familiar with. The Roman Greco games, they would show up in their robes, and their robes would have tassels on to hold it together. And when they ran the race, this is why some objected in the early church to the early games, said they were pagan games, don't go to them. They would strip down nude. They would take off everything in the race. Before they ran it, they would get stripped down. And so he's playing on that, and he's saying, Christian, with the encouragement of this witness, and now you're called to run. 
You need to lay aside every weight and every encumbrance that's going to prevent you from running to the degree that I'm calling you to run, that Paul's calling you to run, that no one, everyone else had to run. And notice that a weight and an encumbrance is different than sin. It's different than sin. This brings to mind in the serious athlete that I'm serious about the race that I'm in. I want to run to win the race. I want to run to get to the finish line. And there are certain things in my life that necessarily may not be outright transgressions of God's law, i.e. sin, but they're not helpful either. They're not helpful. It's easy... It's. It's, it's very easy to apply this in the sense of the early athletics and the men training. The easy designation he's saying to them and they would have thought to themselves, I have to get rid of every act, uh, uh, amount of excess body weight to run a race. Right? Well, that's not what the author's talking about. What he's talking about is little encumbrances in our life that keep us from staying focused on running the race. Now, what I like about the text and the wisdom of God the Spirit in the Scriptures is that He doesn't give us a list. He doesn't give us a list of the every weights, and He doesn't give us a list of the sin. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now, why does He do that? He does that because each one of us are different, and each one of us has a weight that we need to get rid of that's hindering us from running the race that we ought to, that we, like we should be running it. For some of us, um, I'm just throwing out this out there, it could be uh, watching too much television, consuming our time. We mentioned sports earlier, right? Man, I'm gonna, I, I hope it does prick some of us a little bit. I don't know many of you guys in here are sports, but if you're spending more time and know more statistics about the sports than you do the Word of God or living out that faith in your family, maybe that's an encumbrance for you. It's not a sin to watch sports. It's not a sin to know statistics and have a hobby you like. But do you get the point here? Do you, do you see what he's trying to say? If you're an athlete, anything that's taking you away from your performance in the race, and you know by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God what that will be. He doesn't have to spell it out for you. I don't have to spell it out for you. But we each can honestly examine our lives and say, you know what, and I've done this from time to time in my life, I'm drifting a little bit over here. Why, 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 am I, why am I spending time over here on this? What am, what am I doing? How is this really preparing me to run the race for Christ and the things that He's clearly called me to do, in my case, as a pastor, as a husband, as another brother in the church, right? And, and so I'll say, you know what? I need, to, I need to take a diet from that for a little bit and get reiterated on the things that I know truly will build me up for the race, a lot of times it is getting in my word and prayer, calling, talking with other brothers and sisters in the church, you know. And that's the point he's trying to make here. Lay that stuff aside. Strip down. Why are you carrying this excess stuff that's encumbering you, tripping you up from running the race? And then there's the absolute non-negotiable, the sin, which easily besets us. You know, if you ever want to hear the sermon in a nutshell, you always come to church about 30 minutes early. So the brother that I was talking to before church 30 minutes before, he's already heard this. But, um, you know, we were talking about no, long, no matter how long we run the race, there will always be a the sin that easily besets us. Um, Paul, in the New Testament, and all throughout the New Testament, paints the Christian runner as someone who's constantly running and at the same time constantly doing what? Assessing and analyzing how I can make the uh, run more effective. Right? And there's thorns in the flesh. There's besetting sins. Things that easily entangle you. And some of us may not be in the race, running the race, because we very simply will not deal with that besetting sin. 
And here's a newsflash for you. Your goal as a Christian is not to never sin because you, you will not come to a state of perfection in this life. But your goal as a Christian is to do what Paul says in Romans and that is to mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit as they present themselves. So, I'm 47 years old. My besetting sin at 47 is not my besetting sin when I was 27 when I first became a Christian. That was dealt with. And guess what? More, more effectively run the race. But as I was confessing, and again, here going back to what we're talking about, the corporate aspect of, of, of holding each other accountable, being transparent, uh, let us run the race. You guys know I'm in commercial construction, and Mike, you could testify to this. Brother Eddie, to a certain degree, you probably can. Uh, you work in very high, stressful situations with some people who can be very highly difficult. And what's at risk? Is people's jobs, livelihoods, and a lot of money. And your, t- your patience can get tested. And sometimes, maybe I'm the only guilty man here, right? Sometimes you could speak in such a way that doesn't honor the Lord. And then you walk away from that conversation and you say, you know what? I'm a Christian. Christians don't act like that. Christians don't talk like that. I need to go back and I need to apologize and make it right, right? I painted a picture for you that none of us are ever going to arrive to a place of utopic, utopic, if that's even a word, uh, uh, sinless perfection. But the writer's saying here, where you're at in your race, whatever that besetting sin is, you know what it is. I know what it is. Kill it. Get rid of it. Because that's the very thing that's preventing you to do what you want to do, which is to run the race. Oh, I want to run the race, but every time I take three steps, my, my side hurts and I give up because of what? That besetting sin. Well, you've got to deal with that besetting sin and you won't get a side ache after three steps. I'm exaggerating. There's more than three steps, but you know. The New King James says, lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. NASB, so easily entangles us. In the immediate context, we absolutely know with all confidence that the interpretation could be had that he's talking about the sin, the definite article, the sin of apostasy and unbelief, going back to previous chapters. But it's just as, but it's just as applicable, friends, in the activity of running the race, of seeing it as well as the besetting sins right now that are so easily entangling each one of us in a different way. We're going to stop with his call to run the race in preparation with patience. He says, run with patience. Some of your translations will say, run with endurance the race. This theme, of course, of endurance comes up again. And it denotes the idea of a long-term commitment is in view. It's not the Christian life. It is hard. It is a race. It requires something of you. Um, And it's not a short sprint. It's not, you know, just quick little dashes. It's long, brothers and sisters. And any trained runner knows this. They know if they're going to make it. You know, one of the first things that runners think about... Let me see a show of hands. I like, I like to just know, have any of you ever been in like collegiate or not collegiate, but just even academic school running races at all? Yeah, okay. Well, how many, let me put it this way. How many of you ever been like uh, in an exercise program? You're trying to get on a treadmill or do anything like that? I guess we're the only two freaks of nature in the, in the church. Uh, but, you know, you'll find out when you're running a race... Uh, and, and, and you're trying to get to that certain minute mark or you're trying to get, you know, there's so many laps or whatever, you, you realize real quick that the worst enemy in the race is yourself because you start talking to yourself. And the number one person you have to ignore in the race if you have to meet a goal or get to a distance is yourself, right? Because yourself wants to start focusing on a pain on how many more laps, right? 
or how much longer it's going to take, how far back you are, you're not going to win anyways, right? Well, in the Christian race, it's not like that. It's not about whether you're first or last. It's about just completing the race is what it's about. And you have to understand, you can't listen to yourself halfway through the race. Because there's at times where your side's going to be cramping. You're going to think you've got to stop. No, you can't stop because in the Christian life, if you stop and you're saying, well, I'm not going to quit the race altogether. I'm just going to take a break. Hey, brother, just let me come over and sit on the bench. No, no, Moses is over here. Maybe Moses is in the best example because he gets a bad rap. Maybe Abraham's over here. No, come on, come on. You can't stop because if you stop and you slow down, you know how hard it is to get back in the race. No, you've got to fix your mind, your mentality, all of your energies, you know, sanctified by God's Spirit, and not focus on those doubting whispers, on those doubting voices, on those little aches and pains of uncomfortability that come along. And understand, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep moving forward. I know things are like this. I know things are like that. But I'm going to keep moving forward. I've got to keep moving forward. I can't stop. If I stop, I'll never be able to get up and going again. And how many of us have seen we've been in the race long enough, you think about this, where we've actually seen people who have started the race and then they've stopped the race. Think about it. You're thinking of someone right now in your mind. Or you may be thinking of someone in your mind right now who falls. You've already thought about yourself. Lay aside every way and every sin, right? So I can do this. Very rarely do I ask us to think about other people, right? You know my preach, I'm always focusing on ourselves. But it is appropriate here, talking about running the race, not quitting, not stopping. Uh, think of how tragic it is when you've seen someone stop running the race, quit the race. They came in and they got the shoes, they got the you know $150 Nikes, and they got the running outfit. They had this new study Bible. They got the sticker on the card. They got the air freshener or whatever. They got the necklace. And you know what I mean? They're running for a little while. And then, boop, something happens. You don't see them at church for a while. Hey, just worried about you, brother. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This happened, this happened. Oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. It's hard. Bye, bye, bye. You know? And you meet up. And you're the jogging coach, right? Come on, you got to get back in the race. And they say, you know, that person just doesn't want to come back and break the sweat. They just don't want to run. It's, that's the Christian life. I thought the Christian life was one of those other things that we talked about in our introduction. If that's the Christian life, well, here you can have the shoes, man. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want that kind of race. Then what's it do, brothers and sisters? It has such a, a grievous impact on all of us when we see someone fall away from the race. The New Testament has pictures of this. You remember Demas? He was with Paul. He had the running gear on, didn't he? He was running with Paul, the preeminent runner. So, I mean, he must have had, I mean, gear that matched Paul, if, you, if I use that illustration, right? He didn't have the Chuck Taylors. I mean, he had what Paul had. But when things got hard, what did Demas do? He loved the world more than the race, more than what came with this package called the Christian race. And he quit the race. Brothers and sisters, let us make our calling and our election sure. Let us, as we'll see next week, keep our eyes and our focus upon the object and the subject of our faith, Jesus Christ. Now listen to ourselves and let us see ourselves as that born-again, sanctified athlete who is running a race that's not easy, that is hard, and that will require sometimes breaking a sweat. And also, let us honestly examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are there hindrances that are keeping me from running the race in the corporate church of Christ that I need to get rid of? And what could those be? And God, He'll help us to see those things. He will help us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless You and we thank You that, Lord, as we were mirandering around, wandering and exploring, Lord, in the different highways and the byways and pathways of the world, 
that you sent your blessed Spirit to, Father, call us into a race under the headship and the blood covering of Jesus Christ to run with our all. And, oh, Father, you know each and every one of your sons and daughters here this morning. You know very well, O oh God, every weight that, Lord, we often carry around our necks, every besetting sin that at this current time, Lord, plagues us. And we ask, O oh Father, that your grace would shower us, help us to reckon with these things, and help us, O oh Lord, in this text today, see ourselves as this disciplined, Lord, motivated, serious athlete and following our Lord Jesus Christ who went to the very point of enduring the cross. Lord, help us, I pray, to always, as we will see next week, keep every single obstacle, inconvenience, heartache, difficulty that will come on this side of glory in light of and in proper perspective of our Savior, the master runner, the imminent triathlon runner who sacrificed it all. Mockings, beatings, bleeding crucifixion upon Calvary. And oh Lord, help us. Help us to not be wimpy. Help us to be fortified and resolute in our call, in our election to continue on running this race. Father, impress upon us, I pray. It has come forward in the text last week and again today that we are in this race together. All of us as brothers and sisters covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we will not make it to the end without one another. Father, help us to see the importance of that. Foster within our hearts, Lord, a renewed appreciation for the koinonia, the fellowship, the local gathering in its connection with us running in this great race that the saints of old ran. Thank you, O God, for the preservation of your word, the purity of it, and the witness of what you have done in these people's lives. We bless you for that. We thank you for that. And Lord, it does truly encourage us. We know that you are faithful. We know that you are true. And we know that Come hell or high water, you will not forsake us. You will not forget us. And you will help us to continue to run. And so we ask you, O oh God, to be faithful and true in our lives every single day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have a moment of silence.